Coming to you live from the Movie Change Up Podcast. Uh, yeah, you know, it's the Disney Plus Weekly Review. We're here every week, pretty much, unless one of us is sick, gets in a car accident, or something uh, beyond our control happens and it doesn't allow us to record an episode. Uh, if you're watching the video feed of this, uh, whether it's Twitch or YouTube, you can kind of tell it's a little Christmassy up in here. We're recording this on the night of the 23rd for a Christmas Eve release. You know, we're in that festive spirit. It's technically Festivus, a Festivus for the rest of us. So, Tristan, you know, it was kind of a light week for Disney+. Plus. Their only major drop was the Hawkeye finale. So, uh, without further ado, why don't we just jump right into it? Sounds good to me, Joe. Happy Festivus to you. Yeah. The holiday for the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, we'll talk about some Christmas movies and episodes later on and talk about all of 2021 and Disney+. Plus. Uh, afterwards, you know, but let's just start with the big thing, the Hawkeye finale. It came, it went... I, I think we're going to be on the same page. You you disagree. Uh, basically, plot of this episode, Kingpin rolls in. They fight Kingpin. They fight the red suits. Episode just kind of ends. It's one of those <laughs> things where, to me, honestly, while I was watching it, I was a little let down because it almost felt like a penultimate episode in a way. Like, there wasn't the big shocking twist. Um, it's going to be kind of a spoiler review, obviously. Uh, my thoughts were there were no big reveals. It kind of just ended how you would assume it would. And it, how, even I go to something, uh, what I heard, uh, movie kind of online pundit Dan Merle once said is, it's not what it's about, it's how it how it's about it uh, for a lot of these type of things. And how it's about it was kind of boring. It was just almost <laughs> a paint by numbers type of thing. It's like, oh, the mom was evil. They don't even do it in a big shocking way. Um but yeah, I've talked this entire time, so I'll let you give your thoughts on it. But yeah, you mentioned that it, you feel like it's kind of a letdown, but for me, it felt very much consistent with the rest of the series. Like it didn't feel like all. I didn't need there to be a, a final twist. I didn't need there to be like a big reveal or a shock at the end. I kind of liked that it just kind of ended. You know, you got the the characters finished their arcs, the story ended, and then it was just kind of over. You know, I like the fact that I got to that ending scene and I thought, oh, for sure we're gonna get a like a. 10 minutes now is set up for what's next and a bunch of set up for Secret Wars or Young Avengers, whatever it is, they come next with Kate Bishop and we're going to get all these like cliffhangers and we didn't get any of that. And I thought it was kind of neat that it just actually wrapped up. There wasn't a need to leave a bunch of stuff hanging outside of some Kingpin fate cliffhangers maybe up in the air. But, but like even that, it's like we all know he didn't die. Like no no one's – number one, if he did die, why bring him back? That's That's almost just disappointing and annoyingly bad. But we all know he didn't die. And my whole thing isn't even like a reveal to set up the next thing. I mean more like even something we all saw coming of like Kate's mom being the villain essentially. It's even within the show itself. I almost think it was written in a way where they're like it wasn't a big reveal. Like they never hinted towards it. It was more just like, well, Vera Farmiga's cast as a mom. So we kind of assume she's the villain. And then it's like, oh yeah, the mom's the villain. And it's like, oh, okay. Like even in the universe, like, um, Kate Bishop didn't even seem that shocked about it. Like, I feel like even if it was predictable, I would have rather them treat it almost as a big reveal. And it was almost written in a way of like, we know we poorly wrote this and, uh, teased this so much. And like, basically telegraphed this so hard that you already should have figured it out but like not written it in a clever way i don't know fully how to explain it but i feel like it should have been treated as a bigger deal that the mom was the villain and it just wasn't 
And that's probably my biggest gripe of this whole thing is uh, I think if I was writing this, I would have had the mom be the big bad of this season instead of Kingpin, who's not even hinted at or touched at at all until the last second of the penultimate episode. Um, I almost would have liked it more if like the mom was the big bad of this and then Kingpin kind of like how it is at the end. I know you're talking about all oh, this didn't have a big re- reveal. It just kind of ended. But even if it was a post credit scene of like maybe the mom's in jail talking to Kate Bishop and she's like, oh, there's someone above me. Like if you want to bring this down, you have to bring the whole thing down. And she's like, well, I need a name. I need to know who I'm going after. And the mom says Kingpin. And we just cut to like Vincent D'Onofrio sitting at a desk. And I think. Just, I, I just don't know. I just think everything with the mom and the villain, like, I, I think it's bad writing in a way almost to have your big bad be someone who isn't even teased, referenced, or anything. It just shows up at the very end. It's like, I'm the big villain. And you're like, oh, okay. Look, I think he was. And then the hero's not even pretty, the one that kills him. Often. Like, he's definitely. They mentioned the uncle. They mentioned the guy in charge. He was definitely mentioned throughout the series, starting with like the second or third episode. They talked about, the, oh, you got to talk to the big guy. There's this guy who's been out of the game for a while. They hinted at the fact that that Kingpin was around. Uh, and I have some thoughts on Kingpin. I feel like he was not quite as threatening as he was in Daredevil. He came off as kind of like this like desperate and sad leader of the crime world who had no control over the people who were under him. He didn't necessarily seem like the same character to me. And I I think that's definitely one of the flaws is that Disney seems to be wanting to bring out trending moments rather than like good plot reveals. They're like, oh, when can we drop Kingpin? So it's like max Twitter engagement, you know, and it's not like, oh, when does it fit the story? It's like, oh, when is it going to get the most engagement online? You know, yeah. and they seem to be more focused on, oh, we're going to drop hints. So people are going to tweet about Kingpin. And then we're going to have this Kingpin reveal at the last second. So people are going to tweet about how cool it is to Kingpin again. And it seemed like, the narrative was kind of at the second to the the social trending <laughs> for yeah. a lot of these shows, really. It seems like that's the flaw for almost all of these shows. They seem to save a lot of the reveals for the end, but but yet they want to drop all these hints so that people are talking about it. And then by the end, you get to the end, and the hints are so there that you're not surprised anymore. Yeah. So it feels like they're kind of caught in the middle of wanting to have all these hints so that you're talking about it, but at the same time, they want to catch you by surprise. But it's not really a surprise when... The hints are so obvious. And like Kingpin is tied to Echo in the comics. He's in this storyline in the comics. Like it's not a surprise to Kingpin show up if you know the storyline, you know Echo. Like it's not like it was a crazy hole yeah. no one expected. But also so like, I, I don't understand to... why they had it be a reveal. Yeah, but uh and one thing too with you're talking about like the Vincent D'Onofrio portrayal. I feel like the Vincent D'Onofrio uh Kingpin from the Netflix show, and I understand like the Netflix show is technically was supposed to be in the MCU, but I think it was all a one-sided relationship where Netflix is like, yeah, we're a part of it. You know, we reference Hulk and all these other things in the movies and the MCU never re- proper, never referenced Netflix at all until technically now. But I feel like that Kingpin was in a world that was just so violent and dark and brutal that his version of Kingpin fit. And I just don't think that version of Kingpin fits the MCU proper. That's always kind of lighter on violence and the, the fight scenes are always like more flippy and kind of high speed and high movement and they're not really like these brutal dark action scenes and it's almost like not in quality I I wouldn't compare the MCU in quality to Batman and Robin but it'd be like if you had Jared Leto's Joker as the villain in Batman and Robin and it just it's like it doesn't fit 
And I think that's part of the problem is he maybe tried to dial it back or tried to lighten it up to make it fit, and it just didn't work to the point that while I appreciate Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin, I think he worked perfectly in the Netflix series. I just I just think the, the Kingpin that's required for the MCU because of the tone of the MCU is a completely different character. Yeah, and I, I think they have this middle ground. Vincent D'Onofrio gave a quote where he said, like, it's kind of the same character, but there were some dots you couldn't really connect. There's some things in the Daredevil show that wouldn't really connect to Hawkeye, some things in Hawkeye that wouldn't really connect to Daredevil. So it's like a soft reboot almost. And I do wonder if they're ever going to give us some like definitive answers of did these events in these shows happen or are they just going to kind of leave it ambiguous and have the actors come back, whether it's Charlie Cox, who we know from Coates and Kevin Feige is still the Daredevil of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think their their path forward here is to bring back a couple of the actors, you know, Charlie Cox, Vincent Napio, maybe you bring back uh the Jessica Jones actress, maybe bring back a couple of the more acclaimed actors from those shows like and John Bernthal. If they ever do Punisher again, I think John Bernthal's coming back. But I don't think we're gonna ever see like a Defenders thing, so I think they're just gonna one hundred percent ignore Iron Fist. Maybe like ten, fifteen years, you know, or even like Five years from now, Shang-Chi's taken off and they want to do another thing with Iron Fist. I imagine that the actor they cast for the original Netflix show will probably not be brought back because they just want to completely start over. Yeah, and I'm curious as the multiverse gets more and more prominent in the plot, if they're going to give us some kind of like, oh, we brought back a couple, but not all of them. It kind of reboots in the in the madness, but who knows? And I don't want to talk all about the negatives, Joe, because no. I do have some... A lot of positives. At least I felt the Jeremy Renner on the show. That's a positive. I know people on Twitter hate Jeremy Renner, but those people are stupid. I like Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I think I really like their relationship here, especially in this finale. You see it all come full circle. You know, you see Clint call her his partner and say, oh, if you're in the mess, I'm in the mess, essentially. And that kind of moves her where she spent this whole season trying to kind of get on the good side of her hero and to hear hear her hero call her his partner, I feel like was probably a very emotional moment for her. And there was so that a was a great of, growth for the for the relationship. And it's kind of almost, I don't want to say she's becoming Black Widow because that's more going to be like Florence Pugh's type of role, but in like Jeremy Renner's mind and like his relationship with uh, Kate Bishop, is she is kind of like the new Black Widow like to him because there were like connections obviously with the fall where he saved her. But I was seeing online, there were people connecting dots of uh, when he told her to give him hell. Uh the only time he's ever said that before in the MCU was, I believe, in the first Avengers movie. I'm not sure. Maybe it's Age of Ultron in the opening. He said that to uh, Black Widow. That's interesting. I didn't notice that callback, but I like that. I think the relationship feels like that. And it feels him and Black Widow felt much more like a partnership yeah, versus never... Kate Bishop for a while felt like sort of like the, the mentor or the mentee. Yeah. And then by the end of the show, they definitely felt like they were working in tandem. They were very much equal footing in their partnership yeah i really liked uh speaking of their kind of partnership i thought the their kind of final action battle was pretty awesome when they were yeah. fighting the trench coat mafia and they had all these trick arrows and they're fighting on the ice rig of christmas carols blasting in a big tree in the background it was like the culmination of everything the season's built up towards it was like the christmas stuff the trench coat mafia stuff and then we're finally seeing kate and clint fighting side by side it was kind of one of those moments where like i almost felt shocked of like i never thought i would see kate bishop and Hawkeye fighting side by side against the trench coat mafia on like the screen live action in front of me, let alone having it be Haley Steinfeld. Like it was a very cool moment to experience. And I, 
it felt like Kate Bishop's Hawkeye really coming to life and coming into her own. And she kind of led this team too. I thought it was interesting that she had this team of whether it was the kind of her, her partners in this final uh, final battle where it was the, the LARPers that Hawkeye met earlier in the season. They kind of all came back together and were kind of her little team that she gave orders to. And that kind of felt to me like a setup for her to be the leader of the Young Avengers. And yeah. she is clearly a good leader of team of team of young people too. So I thought that was a really cool setup to set up the Young Avengers without having it be like a post credit scene where somebody shows up and says, "Oh, Kate Bishop, we need your help." You know, it was very natural. It felt like it was saying, "Oh, Kate Bishop, she's a really good leader, isn't she?" <laughs> you know, so when we see her show up for the next time, it's going to feel like, "Oh, of course she's a leader of this group. She's a natural leader." You know. Yeah, and if and continuing on the positives, uh, the number one show. If Kevin Feige came to me and he's like, "Joe, pitch me an MCU show," I'm telling him right now, do a Florence Pugh. Haley Steinfeld, Kate Bishop, and Yelena team up show. Yeah, I Their think dynamic, that was great. While the the Jeremy Renner Haley Steinfeld dynamic was really good, I thought the Florence Pugh Haley Steinfeld dynamic was even better. Yeah, I want to praise the show for the inclusion of the side characters too. A lot of the times I've mentioned how bringing in characters from throughout the franchise can be really off putting to me and kind of take me out of the narrative I'm in, where suddenly it's like, oh, here's a character from another movie, here's a character from another movie, here's a character from another movie, and it feels like they're kind of subverting the plot to bring in other stuff. And this never really felt like that outside of maybe the last couple episodes. I felt like particularly Elena and Echo's roles felt very natural within the plot of the show. It didn't feel like they were pausing it to be, okay, now here's the Elena arc, you know? <laughs> it felt like, oh, and then, of course, Elena shows up for it's like this escalating problem where they have the trench coat mafia, then they have Echo, then they have... Yelena, then they have Kingpin. It's like this growing, growing threat. So I, I felt like that was very natural inclusion of outside MCU characters where it could have easily been like, and now we pause for the Yelena episode. And now we pause for the Kingpin episode. And now we pause for the Echo episode. And then the finale, we have the setup for Young Avengers. And I, I was very happy this was a Hawkeye show about Kate Bishop, about Hawkeye. And the side characters are just kind of additions to that cast, you know? Yeah, and especially uh, I like that the MCU is continuing their tradition of having stepdad characters that aren't pieces of crap. I was fully expecting, like I knew the mom was going to be a villain, but I was still kind of waiting for the turn of like the dad, This like I mean it was the mom's boyfriend, so not technically the stepdad, but basically having him still kind of be scummy. But him at the end, even though he's a villain in the comics, just in there sword fighting, helping everybody out, kind of being doofy, but still being... Uh, <laughs> competent with a sword i thought that was fun yeah i absolutely loved it he was very doofy he felt literally like a dad you know he had the dad energy where he was like <laughs> out of place making like weird jokes but he was holding his own i thought that was kind of awesome that they this character that could have been nothing that for a lot of the show felt like nothing and it felt like he was just this device for the plot like when he was arrested and he was like giving this really stilted performance where he was like oh how could you do this i i don't know why i'm being arrested and I was like, what is this character? This doesn't really make sense. And then in the finale, I totally like turned on this character and he was fighting with sword fighting, the trench coat mafia. I was, I was like, this is the right amount of stupid for me. I'm like, it's just barely enough stupid that I'm loving it, but it's not so stupid that I'm taken out of it. <laughs> uh, and I think that worked because they've kind of set up the trench coat mafia throughout the show to kind of be stupid themselves. So it's not like this doofy guy is beating out these like incredible, amazing fighters. It's like, okay, both both sides of this fight have proven to kind of be dumb throughout this season. So it works when they go against each other. Yeah, it'd be one thing if he was going and fighting you later and holding his own. I'd be like, okay, yeah. maybe that. <laughs> yeah. But they... Yeah. 
they make it out to the trench coat mafia kind of doofuses like especially like they have the episode here the moment here where kate reunites with that guy where she mentioned the maroon five joke early in the season i think it was like episode two or something she mentioned that and he says oh i took your advice bro i brought my girlfriend to the maroon five instead and i thought that was a really funny callback like in the middle of this fight kate bishop's like giving him relationship advice and she's like man what about what, what what's with the gun then you know and i feel like that was a very superhero very marvel moment where it's like just like come on man you're better than this like the hero kind of believes in the villain in a way you know and i think that's something that marvel does really well whether it's spider-man or something like that you you get the sense that the hero wants what's best for the villain too and the hero really does want the villain to turn their lives around and like <laughs> better themselves and i thought that was very present in this none of the villains were like outright pure evil it was always like these people who have conflict wow. people who have like mixed mixed uh well you know he's a killer but he has his girlfriend that he cares about and he wants to like better his his life and we know kingpin is kind of evil but we know from the daredevil show he has this complexity still you know you know he has his family ties that make him a little more of an interesting character so i like that this show allowed the the character the heroes to kind of sympathize sympathize with the villains a bit yeah definitely and and so i do gotta get your thoughts now because we're heading to the post-credit scene and uh i i was i was pleasantly happy with this one and i, I don't think most people were <laughs> so i'm agreeing in agreement with most people the post because I watched this this morning, no, Wednesday morning, sorry. Today's Thursday, yes. Wednesday morning, on my way to work, and the post-credit scene would have been worth it if there was a character that we knew in the audience that had a reaction to the song or the performance based on who the character was. I, I don't even care who the character was. If... If you have Paul Rudd in the audience and he's loving it and he's like, "This is amazing, worth it." If you had, if you had Yelena in the audience being like, "This is terrible, I hate America," worth <laughs> it. The, the, uh, any any character that had a reaction that fits who that character is would have been worth it. But the fact that there was just nothing and it was just that, I was like, "This is abysmal." This the I'm fact a- that there was no other post credit scene besides that. I was like, what, what What are we doing? No post credit scene would have been better than this. Look, I'm a big musical fan, and when we saw the trailer for this and we talked about the trailer, I said, Joe, I want the entirety of Roger the Musical. I want to see the whole thing. You know, I want them to upload that to Disney+. Plus. I don't want just one song. You know, I want the whole musical. And but I, I, do, I enjoyed this scene, but I do understand people who wanted, like, a actual plot-driven post-credit scene would have been let down. And I do think there's ways that could have improved it if it was just going to be like a joke, like, oh, here's the musical number. And they mentioned that at the beginning, they said, like, oh, happy holidays to Marvel Studios. So to me, that set up that this is kind of like a meta thing. So I think they could have improved it. You mentioned putting characters in the audience, but I think if you're going to go meta with it, you're just going to say, oh, this is our, our holiday gift to you, the fans, is Rogers the Musical. I think it would have been really fun to put Jeremy Renner and Haley Seinfeld in the cast, make Jeremy Renner play the kind of Captain America role put Haley Seinfeld in one of the Avengers roles and you don't have to make it literally Hawkeye, literally uh, Kate Bishop. You could make it like, Oh, here's the cast of the, of the show. You just watch having fun. Merry Christmas. You know, yeah, I think Florence they could have been a Q lot sing? more fun. I don't know who, I don't know who sings in this cast, but. Very familiar. She could sing. I could see it. Very familiar coming out with some really great, like soprano high pitch singing. I could see it. Yeah. I've seen uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in, uh, the recent version of the Magnificent Seven, so I feel like he can hit a high note because his voice is fucking weird in that movie. Um, Would that have made it more fun to you if instead of randoms, it was like here's yeah, the cast of the show performing honestly, the song? 
my thing, it was just pointless. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't well produced because, like, it was kind of unintentionally, or it was intentionally poorly produced because it was supposed to be, like, a real world, like, stage musical. Like, the costumes looked bad, but it was, it's not like they, they were supposed to in a way. And it was just all around pointless to me. Like, I, I gained nothing from watching this. The song wasn't that good. Uh, the performance was whatever. Like, I, I just, it ended, and I'm like, I literally wasted the last six minutes of my life. I could have spent the last six minutes of my life doing literally anything else, and it would have been a better spending of my time. I think it could have helped, too, if maybe it was a different song, because it was the same song we've already seen just extended. So it could have been better maybe if like it was a like a funnier song. song. Mm-hmm. Because it was a C. I mean, obviously, it's Rogers a musical, so it makes sense if it's a Rogers even, song, okay. but it would have been cool to get, like, Hawkeye's number. You know, I'm sure there was, like, a... In a musical, you're going to give all the characters, like, an, a number, you know? Especially, yeah. like, in Avengers yeah, musical, you think all those Avengers are going to have, like, their own song, you know? Yeah. And maybe even, okay, if they're, like, there's a news thing. Like, Haley Steinfeld or whatever is watching something on the news. So it's, like, after the success of Rogers the Musical and the events of New York, uh, they're releasing an off-Broadway production of Barton the Musical. And it's literally a musical number that's uh, basically a recap of the show we just watched. You know? Like, that mm-hmm. would have been something that I felt was better than uh, that garbage song we got. I had fun with the song. You know, I was I was smiling I the whole time. It. I laughed I at a couple of the funny jokes, and it was obviously, like, it was a tongue-in-cheek kind of song, and it was... I, I understand they wanted to be like, oh, it's this goofy musical, but I also, it's like, there are good musicals. <laughs> and like, if you're going to give us the whole post credit scene of a musical song, maybe don't make it like a parody, you know? Yeah, I guess it was written by the people that did Hairspray, so that's something. I feel it like makes sense. It's Hairspray-esque. Yeah, it could have been better. That's all I'm saying. Look, all I'll say, Joe, is if Disney Plus tomorrow was like, we have the entire... Rogers musical. It's like a three-hour epic. You watch the whole thing. Three hours. I would be watching it right now. If they were legitimately, though, released it and they were like, "It's an hour fifteen, I'd watch it. Three hours, there's no way. But an hour <laughs> fifteen, just out of pure curiosity and lack of shit to do, I'd probably watch it. But um, just like in that moment, what it was, I just felt that it was pointless, and I, I didn't really, I didn't care for it. What did you think of the? Uh... Reveal of the Rolex being Laura's, and uh, she was Agent speaking, 19, presumably Mockingbird. I was going to say, speaking of pointless things that didn't matter, <laughs> I felt like there was maybe a deleted scene or a moment or anything that made that matter. They could have completely just cut it out of the episode it was in, and I don't think it really changes anything. Um, it was just a nice reference that the wife used to be in S.H.I.E.L.D., but like I said, I thought there was going to be a moment where... Uh, the villains invade the farmhouse and we just see uh, we just see the wife just have a crazy fight scene and I feel like that would have made it you know worth it but again why okay cool she was in shield did we really need all of this setup for that I feel like that could have just been a line a reference and not an entire build up just be like hey she was in shield I guess okay she, it's a reference to a character from the comics cool I didn't read the comics so I don't care yeah, I I appreciated it because I was like, oh, it's cool that they're confirming that she was essentially this this mockingbird character in the comics. Uh, Clint kind of falls for this Shield agent who is the character's name is Mockingbird, her superhero name is Mockingbird, and 
Laura from the MCU is very loosely based on on that character, and this moment seems to confirm, I guess, that she is that character. And I wonder if that means we'll get more from her at any point. If Linda Cardellini is going to slam it down for Disney Plus anytime soon, if she's going to have a role in Secret Wars, you never know. I think Secret Wars is going to be essentially like the multiverse of badness of Disney Plus. They're going to bring in a kind of kind of weird cast of characters and mix it up a bit. So I could see that coming back in Secret Wars of having her be sort of like. Oh, here, here she is, Mockingbird. Or I could see her being some kind of leader of the Young Avengers too, if they want her to be like a combat advisor or a trainer or something like that, because she has the field experience. Yeah. I also think it's worth noting that in Agents of Shield, they have a Mockingbird character. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. Again, Kevin Feige is making anything canon except for the Age of Shield, you know? Netflix, you can be canon. Age of Shield, no. Well, he did have Jarvis, or was, no, Jarvis was from Agent Carter, wasn't he? He was. I was gonna say, I feel like that, I feel like, honestly, more than a setup for anything else, the only reason he made her Mockingbird is so to make Agents of Shield less canon. (laughs) (laughs) Even, and right in the same show where Netflix is, like, given this canon pass of, like, at least half canon, you know, partial, partial credit canon, like, anything that we want to say happened in the Netflix show can happen, but if there's anything we want to gloss over, we can do that, too. Angel Shield didn't happen. Not, not, not me. Not my Marvel. Exactly. I don't know. I never really watched it. All I heard was people were like, it was good for, like, a time, and I'm like, okay. That's, that's, <laughs> that the, was, show, that's the show that's going to get me into it. Is It was good for, like, a couple season and a half. It was good for a little bit, you know? It had a bit... Where yeah, it was good. I remember when it started, everyone was like, okay, well, season one, they're just waiting for Captain America Winter Soldier to happen. And then that, then <laughs> it picks up after that. And then it kind of falls apart after a little bit. I'm like, okay, so that's a show I just never need to watch. Got it. They had a good run when the Hydra stuff was going on, and they were able to bring that into the show. And that was a single moment where it was like, oh, the MCU movies and the MCU TV shows are like crossing the streams. <laughs> yeah. But never again. The snap never was never addressed in Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. They never even spoke of it. So for me, that was the point where it was pretty much not canon anymore. But it would be fun if they brought Coulson back, maybe one or two of the side characters. And it's similar to this, if they were like, oh, it's canon if you want it to be, but it's not canon if you don't want it to be. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about this show? I had a good time with it. You're more negative so- on the finale than I was. I think the finale was a mess a little bit plot-wise. I think the pacing... Because Disney wants the reveals to be so prominent, I think the show would have been better if you brought Hawk, if you brought Kingpin in like episode two, uh, to make him built up more as the antagonist. Because it does feel like he shows up and then dies. <laughs> and if you hadn't watched Daredevil you're, and you're like, "Oh, cool, Kingpin's in the MCU," and then he's dead in one episode, I would be pretty let down. I, I highly doubt that he's dead, but no. uh, at the same time, I thought it was a really good run of a show overall. I thought this series was a fun time brought me in the Christmas spirit. It brought Kate Bishop. I thought it would be a nice origin to her, but it really brought her to the forefront. And I, I really kind of fell in love with that character and I can't wait to see more from her going forward. So this did a, I did a good job setting up the characters that wanted me to get invested in, having me have a good time. And I honestly did like that the finale didn't, didn't devolve into much of setup. It didn't devolve into like Falcon of the Winter Soldier's finale where it was like, we're so trying so hard to set things up that it almost steps back the plot of the show (laughs) where it's like we need to we need to get u.s agent into a certain spot so that we can bring him forward we need to get falcon in a certain spot so we can bring him forward and this didn't feel like 
okay, now we got to get the characters where they got to be next. You know, it felt like, oh, they're, they're where they are, you know, and that's just where we're going to pick up from. I will say uh, all of our Hawkeye, as in Hawkeye the character predictions, were wrong. We were all like, oh, it's going to set him up for him not like to not really be in the MCU moving forward. And he's not really in the MCU anymore, less than he was when the show started. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you said you he could... wasn't going to make it home for Christmas. So, Joe, that was you're, my you're big even more prediction. wrong than I am. That was my big prediction, as I thought that was going to be kind of it, as he wasn't going to make it home for Christmas. And then he just was. There wasn't really... I, like, that. that was... It was just little things like that. I thought it would be more of like a pressure of him like racing to get home for Christmas, but no, he made it. It's all good. Um, but yeah, so where do we see Haley Seinfeld's Hawkeye show up next? Post credit scene for Miss Marvel. That's a good guess. I think Miss Marvel is a good guess. I was thinking She Hulk. I think she'd be oh, a good addition a, to the She Hulk cast. Yeah, it kind of depends on what comes first, I guess, because Miss Marvel's. I think we know. It's quarter three, so that's going to be like a July-August type of time period release for Miss Marvel. So I think if She-Hulk comes... Uh, I'm imagining Moon Knight as like a March type of thing. I could be wrong. Uh, it, it's definitely next because it's what we have the most on, so why would they release uh, like a trailer and stuff for that? And not, I mean, we have like that kind of teaser promo trailer for She-Hulk, but nothing really substantial. So I think Moon Knight's next, and then... And then, yeah, I guess She-Hulk is after that, because we at least have that teaser trailer where we haven't really had anything for Captain Marvel. So, uh, yeah, that's... I think She-Hulk's a possibility. But I don't know if she's, like, Young Avengers or kind of where she's going to fit into this whole thing. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I'm wondering, too, if we're going to get... You mentioned that Charlie Cox is seemingly back as Daredevil, and he, in the comics, has a romantic relationship with She-Hulk. So I wonder if he'll come in as her love interest at some point in that show and that could be his introduction similar to kingpin in this but he'd show up for like maybe two three episodes as her love interest and he'd be like oh my god it's daredevil and maybe they fight side by side something like that similar to if you watch the netflix shows luke cage's role in jessica jones he was the love interest of jessica jones for a couple episodes and then later on was luke cage (laughs) so i I would be excited to see daredevil show up there and that could be a place for kingpin to show up again too we don't i know we have the echo show so we'll surely see him and Echo, maybe even Haley Seinfeld there again. But that won't be for a little while. I think if Daredevil's going to have another love interest again, I think it's going to be Echo, because I think they fit together. You have the blind guy and like the deaf woman coming together. I would like that. That's a good crossover, too. I have, they both have like the dark past. You know, She's more dark than he is, I guess, but they both have like that criminal past, and I would like to see that, actually. It would be a really interesting relationship. I don't know what the age difference is there, but I wouldn't imagine it is that high. No, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. As far as the characters, I'm going to see what the actors are. Um, I, Yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I had a good time with this series overall, and it did good setup, and I'm really looking forward to where we see these characters next. So I, I do think She-Hulk's a good bet. Miss Marvel's a good bet. I doubt we see any of that kind of crossover in Moon Knight, which I believe is the next Marvel show. Yeah, Charlie Cox, I looked it up as 39, and the actress that plays Echo is 24. So it's like not, it's not crazy, you know. A couple of years from now, we could pull it off. Yeah. When he's like 41 and she's like 27, it's still like kind of weird, but meh, whatever. I'm still guessing for She-Hulk. I think they're going to get the Charlie Cox... She-Hulk love story. Tatiana Mislani. Maybe he's Charlie just going to be a man whore. That's a hot run, couple right there. Run through all of the women of the Disney plus MCU. I love it. 
come back for the next Kate Bishop show. Oh God, or she's twenty two <laughs> and just. And he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" All right, I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last mentor was deaf, so what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? All right, you ready? To move on to our next topic before we get. I'm ready, gross. Joe. What's our next topic? All right, you know, maybe something less gross. It's the Christmas Eve Eve, so we thought, hey, there's a bunch of Christmas movies and Christmas episodes on uh, Disney Plus. Let's check them out, see what they're about, see what we want to recommend. If you're, if you're, you know, sitting at home alone Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, or maybe you're hanging out with the family and you're like, hey, let's throw on a movie. What should we watch? That's what we're here to do. Like, hey, these are some good episodes you should watch, or hey, these are some good movies on Disney Plus you should watch. Uh, we kind of stayed away uh, this year of rewatching or watching for the first time popular movies. Like, we're not going to be re- recommending Home Alone or The Santa Claus or like those big popular movies. Uh, you know about those. You've most likely seen them a hundred times. Like, I'm not going to waste time being like, hey, you should really check out the Santa Claus starring Tim Allen. You know. <laughs> um, the one we both happen to check out because we're both like, hey, let's just look for movies we've never really watched before. We recommended movies to each other. Uh, but the movie I didn't really know was a Christmas movie until I was scrolling across the holiday collection on Disney Plus was While You Were Sleeping, which turns out is a romantic comedy. I've heard the plot. I've heard the plot before. I've heard people talk about it. I knew Sandra Bullock was in it. I fully thought this was a thriller until I was about uh, 20 minutes into this movie, and then I'm like, I think this is supposed to be a romantic comedy, which also makes more sense as to why it's on Disney Plus. But the plot of this movie, if you didn't know, is uh, this kind of token taker woman on the sub or on the subway, played by. Uh, Sandra Bullock sees the same guy played by Peter Gallagher. Uh, he's the big villain in Mr. Deeds, if you've seen that. Um, he comes through her subway stop every day, and uh, she's like falling in love with him, even though she's never said a word to him. One day he trips, he falls, he like falls into the subway track, and Sandra Bullock saves his life. And there's some miscommunication, and his family thinks that she's his fiance, and he's in a coma, so he's not there to dispute that. And throughout the movie, uh, she kind of falls in love with his family, and they fall in love with her. You know, the guy's dad's played by Peter Boyle from Everybody Loves Raymond and uh, Young Frankenstein. And, you know, they got uh, Peter, or not Peter, uh, the brother, Bill Paxton. Or no, Bill Pullman, sorry. Bill Pullman plays the guy's brother. And, uh... She realizes she's actually starting to fall in love with the brother as, you know, she's spending time with him. The brother's starting to fall in love with her. Only problem is the brother thinks that it's his brother's fiance, and so he's having conflicting feelings. And I don't want to spoil the movie, but that's kind of the setup and the problem for the movie. I thought it was a nice, decent, solid romantic comedy. It's really weird when you go into a movie expecting a full-on thriller and you get a romantic comedy because this movie, you know, if you've seen our main show before, the movie Change-Up where we, you know, pitch and reboot movies, you could totally remake this movie as a full-on thriller. Uh, but Tristan, I know you kind of checked this out for the first time too. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I was curious. I scrolled through and I saw the title and I recognized it and I looked at the cast and I thought, oh, wow, they have an actual uh, recognized cast here and they're fairly young in their careers. So I was excited to check it out and I had a good time, especially with the cast. I think that's the reason to watch this, honestly. Like the plot is just your typical, oh, they're in love at Christmas type of thing, you know, and <laughs> they got to bring their families together. And it was it's not the plot itself wasn't necessarily anything special, but it was a very good, like feel good, romantic comedy and 
if you Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman, I thought gave really good performances, and I I understand Sandra Bullock got nominated for some awards after this performance, even so, it's kind of interesting to watch it here. And uh, Sandra Bullock, his her career isn't necessarily thriving right now; like she's still in movies stuff, but she's not like an A-list person. People are rushing out to see her movies type of actress, and I really liked her performance here. I thought she gave a good. I, I like her in this. She has kind of like this every woman look to her. In a lot of her movies, she has this very approachable kind of like girl next door look that I really like. And she added a lot to this movie. And I thought she's very charismatic and approachable here. And I, I liked her a lot. I thought she was a standout here in this uh, in this movie for sure. I, I also got to give some love to her. She's a token taker at the Chicago Transit Authority on the Randolph and Wabash shop. <laughs> she works at the Randolph and Wabash station where I was just at today on the way to this podcast. So uh, I was looking Did at you, Sandra Bullock. Nice. I will say, uh, speaking of Sandra Bullock, where I'd like to see her pop up, she's done a few movies with Keanu Reeves. I'd love to see her as a villain in the in John Wick 4. That would be really fun. Uh, yeah, if you like Sandra Bullock or you like Bill Pullman, I think this is a good one to check out. Or if you want just like a heartfelt uh, romantic comedy, this is much better than I was th- thinking it would be as this and... I, I actually do recommend watching this. I think it's the one of the of this list that I would genuinely recommend checking out. It's not going to blow you away, but it's going to be a really pleasant time with some really charismatic leads. Yeah. All right. Uh, another movie I checked out, I don't think you've ever seen it, is uh, The Twelve Dates of Christmas, starring Amy Smart and Mark Paul Gossler. Well, I'm not I have gonna not lie, seen that one. For a long time through, I'm going to say maybe halfway through my high school career, I thought Paul Walker and Mark Paul Gossler were the same person. <laughs> Uh, they have a similar look, and I thought at some point uh, uh, the kid from Saved by the Bell decided to change his name and uh, start the Fast and the Furious franchise. So, <laughs> that's that's my how my brain operates. But yeah, Amy Smart, who people might know from uh, various movies, she's kind of she's pretty big in the early two thousands, late nineties. Um, and kind of the plot of this movie is her character is always trying to be set up. Uh, she's always alone on Christmas. Had a recent breakup with her uh, boyfriend of two years. Uh, not recent. It was like it's been a year since they broke up. He wants to meet up with her, and she's like, "Oh, I get to go back with my boyfriend." However, her dad's new wife has set her up on this blind date uh, with a guy that turns out to be Mark Paul Gossler. And uh, she kind of ditches the date halfway through to go meet up with her uh, ex-boyfriend. And it turns out her ex-boyfriend was like, hey, uh, I figure you missed the dog that uh, we got together, that we got when we were dating, uh, that kind of went with me after the breakup. And I'm going up to um, my cabin to propose to my now girlfriend. So I was wondering if, you know, I figured you missed the dog. I figured you wanted to watch it. And uh, she kind of tanked her date just to meet him for that to happen. Well, earlier in the day, she fell and bumped her head. And so at midnight, uh, she goes back in time, and it's a Groundhog Day situation. Oh and she keeps repeating the day over and over. And she's and it's basically exactly the typical Groundhog Day situation of she has to become a better person. The only problem with this movie, she wasn't exactly that terrible of a person to begin with. <laughs> sure, she treated Mark Paul Gossler shitty on their date. But it's only because she wanted to get back with her ex-boyfriend. Um, honestly, if you love cheesy, dumb, Hallmarky type movies, check this out. 
it's well made for what it is. If you're like cheesy, dumb Hallmark movies, don't appeal to me at all. This ain't either. Like this ain't gonna be for you. Uh, I kind of like those dumb movies. Uh, still had some appeal to me, but it's not like good. It's it's adequate for what it is. Uh, I'm kind of over the whole Groundhog Day situation. The best movie to do it was the one that did it first. Uh, I know, maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like uh, Happy Death Day to You wasn't exactly about becoming a better person. It was more of just like a, I need to figure out who's killing me situation. Right, Tristan? Am I mm-hmm. wrong? Yeah, it was definitely not like... Well, there's an element to improving yourself in that in any movie, really, but it was much more of a murder mystery, much yeah. more of let's figure out what's happening here. Yeah, I think if you're going to use that Groundhog Day device, stop doing that they're d- going to become a better person out of it. Like, that's the main goal. Just, it's, it, it's been done. You're never going to do it better than Groundhog Day. If you're going to use that device, use it for a different reason. That's my only uh, word of advice to people. But yeah, uh, 12 Dates of Christmas. Have I made it sound appealing to you at all, Tristan? Look, I mean, I I can be a sucker for some Hallmark romance once in a while. It's especially in, in the Christmas season, it's fun to be wrapped up in the, the time of love, Joe. So I, I'd be down to checking that one out. I love some oh, cheese. If you, want, if you want to not feel bad about spending Christmas alone, maybe don't watch this movie because that's the main <laughs> character's problem is they're like spending Christmas alone and they're sad and depressed about it. And it just made me feel even more sad and depressed about my situation. <laughs> Look, Joe, we don't got to be alone. We're we're together through through the podcast. We have some family family across the world. Yeah, I, I watched think, some cheese. Anything I know, I recommend. Well, I didn't recommend, but I said, hey, there's this movie I grew up. It was on Stars a lot, and I watched it a lot during the Christmas time. I watched it on repeat. I enjoyed it in my youth. But I've I've always kind of been afraid to see it as my adulthood. I think I did watch it last year during Christmas time, but I was pretty drunk, so I don't remember it. Tristan, tell us about your experience of watching the Jonathan Taylor Thomas Jessica Biel classic, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Yeah, talk about an all-time classic. I watched this because Joe recommended it. I did not recommend it. I did not. I said, watch it for me. Like I watched it for Joe. I guess you can say that. He didn't recommend it. He just enlisted me to watch it. So I took up the charge and I watched it. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is in it. Jessica Biel is in it. I think Jessica Biel is... It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, Jessica Biel. I mean, in a well-known name in a, in a fairly young role. And I think it came out 19, 1998. So that's like right in the era where it would have been prime for us to be watching these movies. You know, so I think it was... A good a good time for you to watch it when you were a kid. I'll say that much about it, and I'll also say twenty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's a, I think that's a little bit harsh. A little bit harsh. I wouldn't say twenty three percent. I would say it was solid. I would say it was a passable Christmas cheese. Uh, the one you pitched to me just a moment ago sounded a bit more enjoyable than this because it sounded a bit more aware of itself and what in in its own cheese. Uh, wow. This one was. Okay, though, it kind of follows uh, a teenager played by Jonathan Taylor Thomas who has gone away to a boarding school for the holidays, and he's kind of spending the, ho- the, the holidays here at this boarding school. So it, it has that element to it that I thought was interesting, like the holiday away from home, 
is unique because the the Christmas movies are very much about like the family coming together, time with your family and that kind of stuff. So I thought it was interesting, the premise of, oh, he doesn't have his family. He's kind of alone at Christmas and not just alone in his life. He's like alone in this situation away at the boarding school. I thought it was a good setup. And uh, it very much has police or it has Christmas like within the plot, which I thought was really interesting. Like uh, you wonder for some of these Christmas movies, the Christmas is like in the background. It's there for like the structure, but it's not really like ingrained into the movie you know and but there's oh, there's a whole plot about like a santa claus race that he enters into and oh, yeah, the, it feels I remember like the black santa that's just like sprinting past everybody oh yeah he's going it was like there goes the santa man it was yeah there was santa throughout What's the movie pussy cat? i can't every time i'm like listening to like the 70s or the 60s radio station or something and what new pussycat comes on i always go back to him sitting between those two old ladies in the car having to sing that shitty ass song yeah, and I also thought it was funny that the at the race, the police that are like patrolling the race are in Christmas tree costumes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a nice uh, little touch. So there's little touches here. I think this is the solid watch. Honestly, it's not. I wouldn't put it at the top of the list of your Christmas movies, but if you're genuinely desperate and you're sitting at Disney Plus and you're like, man, I've seen Santa Claus, I've seen you know all of the top tier Christmas stuff. I want to get something that's kind of off the beaten path. This. Is a good solid off the beaten path one, and you have you have actors that you know of '90s '90s stars that are in it. So Adam that kind LaVornia. of added, yeah, it added some uh, nostalgia to me where I was seeing people like Adam Lavornia pop up, and I was like, oh, I know him, and uh, that was kind of nice. So I would, if especially if you're like a '90s kid or early 2000s kid, and you may have watched something of this era when it when you were young, this could give you some nostalgia in the heart, you know. But if you're not from that generation, who would get joy out of just seeing something from 1998 be cheesy and bad and have santa racing and cops and christmas costumes and the ending is him stowing away on a cargo with a dog named ringo because he can't get home in time for christmas and he doesn't have his id so he has to like stow away on this on like the cargo part of the of the jet like where the where the luggage is luggage is at so it's kind of a fun ending and yeah i had a good time with it i'd recommend it if you're genuinely looking for something off the path to watch and if you have some '90s nostalgia, especially. Yep. Yeah, it's just, it's it's from what I remember, it was an okay, adequate movie. Uh, another <laughs> movie I watched uh, starred one of my first celebrity crushes of all time, and that's Christina Milian. It's on Disney Plus, obviously. It's called Snow Globe. Movie. It's not very good. I wa- mm. I remember watching it as a kid. Came out in like 2008 ish. So I guess I would like it's like middle of my high school career, but I only watched it for one reason, and that's Christina Milian. And uh, she looks good in that movie, and just the ability to look at Christina Milian for an hour and a half is really the only reason to watch it. Plot of this movie: she somehow stumbles, and she's like in this family, and this family like bickers and argues, not like violently. It's a ABC Family production, you know, back when ABC Family was a thing, and it wasn't called pre- Freeform. You know, like it's this mixed race family. They bicker, they argue. It's just like your typical kind of what you would expect out of a New York family. And she's kind of tired of them bickering and arguing all the time, and she just wants to be happy and everyone getting along. And then she finds this snow globe, and somehow she's able to magically transport herself into this snow globe uh, where everything's just perfect and amazing all the time. It's like this little Stepford Wives Christmas community. And then uh, she kind of realizes uh, over time, at first, like, it's all perfect. Like, oh, this is exactly how I want Christmas to be. But then she realizes, like, no one ever bickers. No one ever argues. It's always perfectly happy and nice all the time. And she's like, this is boring. This sucks. 
and she realizes like at the end like especially when one of the people the people from the snow globe start to leave the snow globe and come into the real world and they're like nothing makes sense it, you have a little bit of like that elf scenario a little bit of like this perfect guy from this perfect community comes into the real world and essentially like she realizes like oh her family's not that bad you know because you could kind of tell that from the beginning when they were just bickering over uh her brother wanted to watch the giants game during thanksgiving dinner you know <laughs> I feel like that's not really like he wheeled the tv in and she was like oh can't we watch can't we have thanksgiving di- dinner without having the tv i'm like that's your worst complaint about your family like, yeah. he should have a groundhog day scenario where he improves himself as a person just repeats the same Thanksgiving over and over and over again. Constantly watches the Giants game. She's like, please, can you watch something else? Yeah. He's like, no, I got to see how the same game ends. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's my review of Snow Globe. One that I watched uh, somewhat by accident. There's a story behind this a little bit in that my aunt and a lot of my, like, the generation of, above me and my family talked about how they always watched the movie Babes in Toyland around Christmas time. I keep and, sawing, seeing that, but I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. It looks not great. Yeah, I had never seen Babes in Toyland. It always been like, oh, my, my grandparents watched this one. <laughs> you know, so maybe someday I'll check it out for the the family connection of it. But it was never really on my priority list. So I was going through the Disney movies uh and I saw they had Babes in Toyland, so I started watching what I assumed was the movie my parents and my grandparents kind of grew up watching. It tell it's sort of like it's a big musical, and it's set within sort of like this toy box looking world where uh, there's dancing soldiers and there's it's kind of feels like a toy box come to life. So you can see the the Christmas angle to it. There's a toy maker who's essentially a Santa Claus type of character, and it's this romance of these two kind of Starcross lovers having to go off on their own journey and uh like she's betrothed to somebody else and then she kind of like finds her true love and she's like oh here's my real love and not my like promised love and that's kind of one of those stories where she has the one that she's sworn to and yet she finds this guy that she truly does love and care about and they go on this loving journey together and i was watching uh the babes in toyland on disney plus which is from i believe the 1960s, uh, 1964, I want to say. It was very colorful. It was had the color, so I love had the color movies. I think they look gorgeous. Like even even terrible ones I'll watch because they just look incredibly cool. I love the visuals of had the color movies. I think they just, the colors really pop. If you, like Wizard of Oz is a had the color movie. If you see the colors of Wizard of Oz, you can see what the color probably looks like in Babe the Toyland. Very bright, very candy colored, very vibrant. So if you like the look of Wizard of Oz, you probably like checking this out it has a similar vibe where it's like they're escaping to a kind of fantasy world you know and similar to how Oz is like this almost like a toy box come to life in a way like you have these very colorful characters and these very vibrant kind of sets and this has the exact same thing very vibrant sets very colorful characters and memorable musical numbers this is a really fun time but I will say as I was watching it I was like man 19 late 60s maybe even 71 that feels late for my my aunt, my, my grandparents to be watching this, you know, 70s, they wouldn't be growing up on this, you know? So I looked it up and I realized I'd watched the wrong Babes in Toyland uh-huh. uh, because <laughs> there are, in fact, three versions of this movie. Uh, the one that my grandparents had grown up on was the 1934 black and white version of the story, which I have not seen, but uh, it's not on Disney+. Plus. It's free on Tubi, 
if you have Tubi, but I'm not going to promote a non-Disney Plus show on this. On, you know, this is a Disney Plus podcast, but uh, uh, somehow I actually do recommend the 1971, I want to say it is, Babes in Toyland, the one that I did not mean to watch, but I had a good time with it. <laughs> if you want to get a bit more modern, there was a Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock uh, adaptation of Babes in Toyland. So if you have some nostalgia for, like we just mentioned, some 90s all-stars. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. You Sorry, got Matrix 4. Matrix Resurrections, <laughs> which I may or may not watch. Um, I'm about to check that one out. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, I have only seen the 70s one. That is, that's definitely on Disney Plus, and I had a good time with it. Really colorful visuals. If you like these kind of classic, t- the color, big dancing musicals, you might have a really good time with it, like I did. But you might also realize you watched the one you didn't mean to watch. <laughs> so now I guess I have two more versions of Bathe and Toilet to check out, uh, which is which is fun. But I would recommend Bathe and Toilet. Maybe not to you, Joe. But to anybody who loves these kind of big studio musicals where it's these huge dance numbers, very colorful sets, especially the colorful sets. I, th- I was just mesmerized by the set design here. But Joe's giving it two thumbs down, so I don't think he's a big fan of colorful Rodgers and Hammerstein-esque musicals. Rodgers and Hammerstein ruined movies. <laughs> so uh, any other uh, Christmas movies you watched? I watched a very recent Christmas movie, one from... Uh, two years ago, 2019, it was a launch title for Disney Plus. I want to say uh, Noel. Oh yeah, Anna I watched that last year. That movie sucked. <laughs> yeah, not not great. I had fun with the two two leads. Anna Kendrick gave a really charming kind of fun performance. So if you like Anna Kendrick, you might get something out of this. I thought she was a thing to attach to here. The plot is that Anna Kendrick plays Noel Kringle, the daughter of Santa Chris Kringle, uh, and Santa Claus has died, and now it's up to her brother, Nick Kringle, played by Bill Hader, to kind of inherit the role of Santa Claus. And he's kind of a slacker. He doesn't really want to do the Santa Claus stuff, so he goes on this, like, sabbatical and then is not to be found, you know? So it's Christmas season. They don't have a Santa Claus. And Noel, played by Anna Kendrick, decides to go on this journey into the real world to find her brother, Bill Hader, and bring him back in time for Christmas. You get some good elf-style comedy once in a while where Anna Kendrick is kind of out of her element in the real world. And she has this idealized version of Santa Claus and the North pole and Christmas. And then she comes to the real world and it's much more cynical, much more corporatized. And she's not super happy with that. You also have the kind of feminist angle where she's stepped over for the throne essentially because Bill Hader has to be the one to take it, even though she is much more suited for the role of Santa Claus. And she sometimes feels like she has to live up to a double standard uh, compared to her brother. So that was some, some positive elements to the movie. But that's pretty much most of the positives <laughs> I can give. The ideas were positive. You know, the cast, they cast it well. But yeah, I was looking at the cast. I remember uh, liking uh, Julie Haggerty, who I think is underrated as a comedic actress. She was great in Airplane, great in What About Bob, and I remember her being... Uh, you know, Mrs. Claus in this movie and being, and remember, I remember watching it being like, she's good in this. And I feel like she was never used as well as she could have throughout her career. I think she could have been one of the big, like female comedic actress stars. And she just never, never was, even though she just gave great performances throughout her career. Yeah, this is a, a okay movie. I guess I wouldn't say it sucked, but it was certainly it's not, sucked. It's not going to enter the pantheon of Christmas movies. It was probably the worst of the ones that I watched in this lineup between While You Were Sleeping, Babes in Toyland, and Noel. Just something to say because... And I'll be home for Christmas. I would put, honestly, like 
around the same level of this. Maybe it has a bit. They both have like their two good cast, two or three good cast members, and like a passable story to get them to do cool things as cast members. While you're sleeping, is a bit better than this, though. So I would say this is cer- certainly the bottom of the of the barrel. All right, any, but uh, if you like Anna Kendrick and if you like Bill Hader, I would say it's probably worth checking out. You get some fun Anna Kendrick quirkiness. You get Bill Hader being kind of this goofy slacker version of Santa Claus. It's it's fun, yeah. in that in that way. Any other Christmas movies you'd recommend that you watch on Disney Plus besides the big obvious ones like Santa Claus and Home Alone and whatnot? Those are all the movies that I watched. I watched a couple of TV shows, yeah, but that covers uh, the movies that I watched. Did you watch anything else? Uh, no, I just was gonna jump into some TV episodes. Um. For the most part, I'm going to be honest, uh, from what I watched, if you didn't really watch the show itself, I don't know how well the episodes standing alone will work, because I remember, like, as I was watching it, I'm like, okay, I know these characters. It was kind of fun to go back and watch TV episodes, and, like, unlocking memories of, like, I knew the next line, even though I'm like, it was weird, because there were, like, episodes, I'm like, I don't really remember watching next episodes, and the characters would be talking to each other, and I'd be like... And I'd say the line as they said it. I'm like, I don't even remember the plot of this, but somehow I remember like all of the lines, which doesn't make sense. Happened a mm-hmm. lot with, uh, I watched a Sweet Life of Zack and Cody Christmas episode where there's snow and they're locked in the, they're locked in the uh, Tipton Hotel. Uh, and uh, I watched two Christmas Girl Meets World episodes, which barely had any Christmas in them. So I'd say if you're looking for some Christmas, you can just skip the Girl Meets World episodes as well as the Hannah Montana episodes because there's barely any Christmas in the uh, Hannah Montana Christmas episode. I thought it was funny in the Girlmates World episodes that they call it the holiday tree. We go into our holiday party. I don't think they literally say the word Christmas anywhere in yeah. at least the first episode of Girlmates World Christmas episode. I think I may have fallen off of the show by the time they got to another one. But I did watch that show week to week for a little bit. I never watched it week to week. I just looked up all of the ones that had the recurring uh, characters from Boy Meets World in them and just watched only those episodes. And I wish I could go back to- back in time. And let them know that there's going to be a seri- uh, thing called Disney Plus, and uh, that would be much more suited for a premise like Girl Meets World than the Disney Channel is, where you can be slightly more adult. Like I, I would love a, a I mean, I, you can't do it now, but I would love to live in a world where Girl Meets World never existed on Disney Channel, but existed on Disney Plus with a similar tone as Kame Aloha MD. Yeah, I I mean, I thought Jeremy's role overall was a bit of a letdown, and yeah, I think <laughs> I watched the majority of the show, and I I think the Christmas episodes I remember looking forward to. Me, me and my brother watched them together when they were on, so I have some memories of it. And I remember us both pointing out the fact that it was really weird they don't say Christmas. <laughs> yeah. It felt like they were trying to be like unnecessarily uh, aware of of other people. It was like we're going to celebrate Christmas, but not say Christmas. At all. I, I hate when they do that shit of, like, just say Christmas if you're going to do Christmas. Or if you if you want your character to be Jewish, then they're celebrating Hanukkah. Like, the there's a Hanukkah episode of even Stevenson as someone who's never celebrated Hanukkah. I don't feel left out because I don't care. He celebrates Hanukkah, so let him celebrate Hanukkah. That's how the world is, man. Speaking of, I did watch that even Stevens episode. It's, it's, uh... I, I didn't watch it th- this year. I think I did watch it last year. And it's it's a good episode from what I remember. Like it stands it stands up. It's you know, it's one of the few yeah, ones that do. I think season one, episode fifteen, it was, and I included it on my watch because I thought it was interesting. I wanted to cover sort of the subgenre of like a direct parody of a Christmas movie. I feel like that's something that these shows do all the time, where they take the premise of 
It's a Wonderful Life or Christmas Carol, and they very like directly uh, parody that with their characters. And this was a very direct It's a Wonderful Life uh, parody. So the main character, Lewis, is played, of course, by Shia LaBeouf. This was his breakout role as an actor, but he he kind of hits his head and has a dream sequence of what the family would be like if he wasn't in it and what the world would be like if he wasn't in it. And it's I liked it because it, it ties into Hanukkah while also tying into a Christmas uh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like a little bit of both. And I thought it was fun to see Hanukkah represented oh. on, on TV. Very interesting to see, especially like in the early 2000s, it wasn't necessarily the era of like, we have to represent everything, you know, and we've hit that time now where people are more aware of like, there's more than one view of the world. Maybe we should try and represent different perspectives more often on media, you know, and that's sort of a very active thing in media right now. So in what January of 2001, they this episode to come out and uh, at least to make an attempt to look at something beyond just the corporate Christian Christian Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought that was a really fun touch, and yeah, the direct parody is always fun. I didn't end up doing a rewatch of it, but I saw it when I was flipping through. There's a Kwanzaa episode of The Proud Family, which I feel like as a holiday kind of died out. I don't think Kwanzaa is really a thing in the black community anymore, but they tried. I I also watched that one. I hadn't seen that one before. It was uh, Seven Days of Kwanzaa, season one, episode 11. I thought it was really interesting as well because, uh, yeah, like you said, Kwanzaa, and especially 2001, it was very much a new oh, thing. Yeah, and that's, that. that's an L- <laughs> Not necessarily a new thing in the world, but a new thing like in the United States, a new thing to be like a mainstream holiday. And it, it's part of the plot. Like the family hears, hears about, they kind of invite the family into their home for Christmas. And they celebrate Christmas together. And the family that they invited in says, oh, why don't you guys come celebrate our holiday? It's called Kwanzaa. And initially the dad and the family are like, oh, what's this crazy spiritual holiday coming into my Christmas? And this is not what I signed up for. And they have this apprehension that I imagine a lot of the audience had as well, where they came in like, Kwanzaa what is this African holiday coming into my United States you know and I I think that they had the outsider perspective of coming in and seeing the value of the Kwanzaa holiday and what it means to the other family what it could mean to them I thought it was a, a f- interesting episode I tried to cover my watch through stuff beyond just traditional Christmas episodes where it's like oh the family has to come together for like a party and something goes wrong are they going to get into party done in time <laughs> like I wanted to get oh. to a bit more of the outside stuff especially proud family because they have the revival coming on yeah. and I didn't see a ton of the show. I watched it randomly whenever I would turn it on on the TV, but it wasn't one that I watched like week to week all the time. So I hadn't seen this episode yeah. and it was fun to watch it now. Yeah. I remember basically my thing was I kept looking for Christmas episodes and like every episode I'm like, you could cut out all the Christmas from this in like 30 seconds. Like <laughs> the, the Hannah Montana two episodes of Christmas I watched had no Christmas in them really. Uh, there's an, oh, the Kim Possible Christmas episode had like no Christmas in it. And I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I guess Disney Channel was just like had the episodes written and they're like, oh, this is the air date that's going to be closest to Christmas. We'll just inject Christmas. The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody was really the only one that felt like it definitely was a Christmas episode when they started writing. I thought it was interesting too. A lot of these episodes were early on in the show, at least for the ones that I watched. They were like season one, season two, and it feels like when you're early on in the show, you're not quite confident in the characters. You don't quite know the direction of the story, so you fall back on the Christmas episode, the Halloween episode, the birthday episodes, those kind of things that you can easily pop out without really having to even know the characters. <laughs> so it feels like that was kind of the, especially in the early seasons, you're like, okay, let's give them a Christmas episode because we kind of have like the structure for what that's going to be like and then throw our archetypes into it. So 
you can see why they kind of fell back on those for early episodes of these shows. Like episode 11 is Proud Family's Christmas episode. That's really, really early in the show. Yeah, and there. Oh, speaking of other Christmas episodes, I did watch. There was a Boy Meets World Christmas episode, which I did feel like was kind of a different plot. Uh, season four, episode eleven. You have Sean, who you know he's working at the docks because he finally wants to be able to buy nice Christmas presents for his friends and family. And working on the docks sucks. He wakes up at three a.m. It's freezing cold because it's uh, kind of the outer Pittsburgh area. And, it's, you know, he hates it. And Corey's got a job as a waiter, and he's just racking up money. And Sean goes, vis- visits him as a waiter, and he realizes uh, Corey's working for the mob. Uh, he's doing things for these two guys, played by Buddy Hackett and uh, another guy who's kind of big in, like, the 60s, playing these mob bosses. And he's like, Corey's got to deliver envelopes and, like, do all this stuff. And Corey's too dumb to realize that he's working for the mob. And uh, I was, like, reading a review. Apparently there was a big mob presence in Pittsburgh in the mid-'90s. Like, it wasn't, like, some random weird thing that, like, <laughs> didn't fit. Apparently the mob was very active in Pittsburgh around this time. So, um uh, yeah, and Sean basically is like, Corey, you can't work here. You're working for the mob. This is bad. And uh, Corey's like, okay, and he quits his job. And Sean uh, basically realizes he can make some very easy money and accomplish his goal of uh, buying gifts for his friends and family. And so he replaces Corey and takes Corey's job until Corey convinces him again that, hey, it's easy money, but, you know, what, what are you really doing here? You don't want to work for the mob. It's a very, It's like a weirdly dark episode for Boy Meets World in a way. <laughs> and the end yeah. of the episode is uh, Sean standing because the Matthews, I guess, apparently have a Christmas Eve holiday party every year, and Sean was supposed to be there, and he's not there. And so Corey finds Sean alone in the cold at night, holding a box, waiting for someone to come pick up the box, and it's kind of implied that there's drugs in there, in the box. Yeah, that's a dark take for Boy Meets World. You wouldn't see that on Disney Channel today. Yeah, no, tell you a that. lot of them. Even like, uh, I mean, that, that, I think that was an ABC show, but like even the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, there's just a lot of stuff in there that I'm like, that would not be in a Disney Channel show today. And I think a lot of it is, I think uh, Disney Channel in our era was a lot of single cam shows, and now it's all just like boring, lame, multi-camera sitcom with like the same dumb jokes recycled over and over. Like I was watching the Lizzie McGuire Christmas episode, and I'm like, this has like an editing style to it, and this has a direction and everything and like the disney channel shows i've popped in and watched just don't have that anymore yeah i think it's interesting to see the direction this channel has gone especially when you go back and watch some of these shows and it's like they were so genre they were so stylistic and they really just took things took things further than you think they would yeah one episode that i watched uh that i hadn't seen before and it was from a show that i watched it uh pretty often when i was young so i'm pretty surprised that i hadn't seen it but it was a fill to the future uh christmas episode called christmas break and i wonder why i'd never seen it so i looked it up online and it turns out that it had never like it had kind of been aired on tv but not really like it was actually released as like a special feature on the dvd of like a disney holiday disc <laughs> so you had to buy this like disney holiday dvd and then go to the special features to watch this fill to the future christmas episode that's kind of like a weird backstory to this. And it was very, it was like a couple of years later, aired on, like maybe a year later, aired on TV for that Christmas. So, but you had like an entire year of time where the only way to watch this was to buy this random DVD called Disney Channel Holiday and watch the special features. <laughs> That's kind of a unique backstory. And the, I thought it was also cool because you get sort of like this future 
take on Christmas. You have like robot Christmas trees and digital fireplaces and things like that. And uh, the robot Christmas tree is really funny because they have to like sing a song to it to not have it kill them because they're afraid of like technology coming to self-awareness and killing them all. So you have like this fear of the robot Christmas tree. Uh, they think it's going to kill them. So they have to sing a song. And they're like, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree, don't kill us. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it's something like that. It was a really fun one. And uh, it also has kind of a plot reveal where, because this premise of Phil of the Future is that it's this family from like the 23rd century or something that travels back in time to the early 2000s. And then the main character, Phil, accidentally breaks their time machine and then they're stuck in the 2000s yet. They're people from the future. That's the setup for them. So they're kind of like these oddball, third rock from the sun kind of characters. And this episode reveals that if the time machine had not been broken and they'd gone back when they intended to, they would have hit some big crazy time storm and wouldn't have made it back to their normal time at all. They'd have been lost in time. So Phil gets the, re- the reveal that, hey, if I wouldn't have messed up so bad, we would have all been lost in the universe. <laughs> so in reality, I saved my family. And that's a nice Christmas edition. You know, he gets to realize that he didn't ruin his entire family's life and keep them stuck centuries before they're supposed to be in this archaic early 2000s it was so i thought that was a nice addition and i also thought it was cool because this episode was directed by fred savage oh, nice. who yeah, has man. some pretty fun background as a kid actor a tv actor yeah i know he directs a lot of tv now so that's cool yeah so if you have any uh interest in phil of the future and you maybe miss this episode or you just want to get some some early 2000s she's in you this is not going to be a a great episode or a great uh, holiday classic. It very much is like aiming for a kid in some, some instances. Like there's a point where uh, they had like a, a fireplace, digital fireplace that got on the screen, essentially like you'd get for like the Yule log on Disney plus. And one of the characters runs up with like a marshmallow on a stick and tries to roast a marshmallow over the TV. And they, they're like, Oh no, it's just a TV. <laughs> and like, that's a joke that doesn't work for an adult because it's, it's lame. Yeah. They're obviously intending for kids to laugh at that. So this was not aiming entirely for me, but I had a good time with it. It was fun to see how they brought the Christmas tradition into, into the future and changed some stuff like robot trees and things like that, but still kept the traditions alive. So if you want to see a somewhat unique take on a Christmas setting, I think the Phil of the Future one is a solid watch. Season 2, episode 15 is how it's listed on Disney+. Plus. All right. Ready to move on to our, I mean, I know it's going to be a long episode, but it's Christmas break. People got time to watch our yeah, show. Yeah, I think we've, co- we've covered everything. Get any more episodes or anything else you want to talk about, Joe? Uh, no, I think that's it. Watch watch Christmas shit. It's Christmas time. It's, it's Christmas. Eve. You know, it's going to be get, Christmas get Eve when you're watching this. Unless I upload it tonight, then it's going to be Christmas Eve Eve. But either way, you're going to be watching this on Christmas Eve. Watch some Christmas. If there was one thing that you we talked about today you'd recommend they watch, what would it be? Of all the, everything we talked about. I'm going to say it's the one that's probably the best of what we watch, and that's While You Were Sleeping. Yeah, While You Were Sleeping was definitely uh, the best that we watched, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for something a bit more modern, I thought Noel was, was watchable. Joe doesn't agree with me uh, on that one. Yeah, but I had good. a good time with the, with the performances in that one. I don't care about the performances. The story was lame, and the, everything <laughs> was lame. Even the performances were lame. All right, so you ready for, to uh, quick kind of go through our 2021 rewind, what we liked, what we thought was garbage, mainly the movie Noel? Yeah, we've gotten to the end of the year, so it's going to be a good time to look back. Yeah, Disney Plus' second year in existence, and a pretty a pretty full one. They had a lot of stuff this year, considering all of the problems of the real world 
But what was your highlight of 2021 as far as Disney Plus goes? I'm never going to forget the experience of WandaVision. And uh, whether or not the show delivers at the end or not is not really... like. I think the journey is more important than the destination in a TV show. I look at something like Lost and I think like the journey of watching that or something like even Game of Thrones to an extent, like the ending flopped, but it's not going to undo the, the journey of getting there. And WandaVision, every episode was like you were watching on pins and needles every second of every scene and you were like deconstructing everything you saw and I, know, I I didn't expect to be so engaged by these Marvel shows and WandaVision really showed me what these shows can do in terms of engagement, in terms of making me think about them constantly, making me theorize about them, making me want them to do certain things and also in the way that it brought in serious themes, you know, the, the quote of that's going to live on from that show of what is love if or what is grief if not love persevering i think that's something that people will always quote from the show and kind of semi summarizes wanda's arc from that show so yeah i thought the finale sure might have dropped the ball a bit but the journey of wandavision from start to finish was just so so much fun to go through yeah um wandavision the ending was worse than the disney channel original movie uh so Maybe it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, but what's the point of going on the journey when the destination is a Disney Channel original movie? Uh, for me, highlight, uh, the only Star Wars we really, really got this year was Bad Batch. I mean, technically, uh, we'll be getting the pilot or the premiere of uh, Book of Boba Fett, but um, Mandalorian ended in 2020, so... Uh, all we got was uh, Bad Batch, which I enjoyed. I liked, but I would say for me, the highlight of Disney Plus of 2021 was Loki, which I didn't expect. I kind of figured going into it. I've seen all of Loki. I need to see what more is there to do. And uh, we got a really cool, fun, interesting series of Loki uh, kind of time traveling, hopping around the MCU. I thought it was fun. I was, as a big conspiracy theory guy, uh, when uh, not Jack the Ripper, that's not right at all. Um, D.B. Cooper. When we got the D.B. Cooper thing in the trailer, I was like, oh, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to D.B. Cooper, and it's going to be one of my favorite episodes of TV of all time. I've, you know, seen a whole bunch of D.B. Cooper theories, this whole thing. I've even seen, like, speculation that and the theory that I'm kind of going along with, that D.B. Cooper never existed. Um, and that was all the, uh, flight attendants on the plane conspiring together because there was a whole thing going on and that's a conversation for a different day but um and then it turns out it was one part of a montage of one episode and i was kind of let down but other than that uh i really liked it the i think that and what if are the only finales to me or of the uh mcu disney plus shows to stick the landing and uh yeah loki and i will include what if as big highlights uh for me as far as Disney Plus, any any letdowns for you? Things you were, what, what what were you most? I don't want to say what was the worst thing, but what, what were you most disappointed by on Disney Plus this year? Yeah, that's a it's a tough call. I look at some stuff that I was in love with, like uh, Get Back. I had a really good time with, and those were all good times. I I disappointments. I think mostly come down to things that something like a. Uh, Monsters at Work was a pretty big disappointment for me. I love, I'm wearing a Monsters Inc. shirt right now. I'm a big fan of the source material. And that was a really s- solid premiere, a good entrance to the series that like immediately I lost interest. And <laughs> I have so little interest in going back and watching it again. And for a return to a universe that I loved, 
so much. I would have liked to have been grabbed a bit more by that than I was. And uh might be one that I go back and watch at some point. Like if we have some random break where there's nothing getting dropped or something like that, then I'm really desperate for something to watch. But it feels like this kind of just came and went despite the big cast, despite the like good animation style. It, it didn't feel like it resonated much with me or with anybody among really like the Disney plus community. I didn't see anybody tweeting about this, talking about this. So it's kind of a shame that a, a turn to a really acclaimed franchise for Pixar was just this nothing show. Yeah. Uh, I will say I forgot highlights for me. I said, we only got one star Wars thing. That's a lie. We got star Wars visions, which I really enjoyed. Uh, uh, we talked about that a bit uh, before, so you can go back and find that conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a great one. I thought that was definitely a highlight in terms of like the creativity, the variety of those shorts. It was Comparably to What If 2, I thought what Visions was a much more ambitious, much more engaging take on, on the similar premise. And yeah, Visions I would definitely recommend. Even if you're not a Star Wars fan, I think you would like Visions and it's worth checking out. If you have no experience with Star Wars, I think you'd still get something out of Visions. If you're a fan of old samurai films, watch the first episode of Visions. And then if, yeah, that, doesn't, if that grabs you, watch just keep watching Visions. If that doesn't grab you and you're an old samurai film fan, then the rest of it ain't definitely ain't going to grab you. Another thing I know you watched for Star Wars, maybe you wanted to include it more for our previous conversation, but I included it in the thumbnail so people might be disappointed if we don't talk about it, and that's the Phineas and Ferb Star Wars special. Oh, I had a great time with that. Uh, not related to 2021 or Christmas or anything, <laughs> but it was, I mean, it came out years ago, but it was good, and it was kind of fun, like Phineas and Ferb essentially like travel into the Star Wars universe and exist within the background of the Star Wars movies. And rather than like interrupting the plot or they're in a room where Luke Skywalker comes in and has a conversation with them, it's like their actions, unbeknownst to the main characters, to us, like they, they essentially are happening within the background of the movie. You can go back and watch the movie and be like, oh, that blaster shot right there that killed that one uh, that one stormtrooper, that was Phineas. <laughs> like there's these random connective things that make it fun. Like, you know, when C-3PO and R2-D2 are getting into the escape pod and that blaster goes off from the side and scares C-3PO into the pod, like, it, within the context of this special, that was one of them shooting and scaring the two of them into the pod. So, like, Phineas and Ferber are the instigators of the entire Star Wars saga by getting C-3PO and R2-D2 off of that ship just in the nick of time. Nice. So, I thought it was really fun the way they, they weave this into the original plot of the original trilogy and it... it it's such a fun. It's just an interesting way to work around the story of this without interrupting it, without changing it, without like going in and saying, "Okay, and now we're gonna have like an alternate take where Luke does this thing that didn't happen in the movie." Everything you see on the screen could feasibly, plot-wise, have happened within the movie of Star Wars. <laughs> so I thought that was a really cool way to do it. And uh, if you if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're looking for just like there was a Star Wars holiday Lego special drop this year that was solidly fun, but nothing really great or special or anything. And this is miles, miles above that. This is like actually really fun, really funny, entertaining, brings references into the franchise that you wouldn't expect and some you would expect, but short and sweet and watchable and on Disney Plus. <laughs> so I, I definitely recommend it. If you're in your holiday break, you got yourself like a 40 minutes to spare, however long it is for this, I'd recommend it. It's a pleasant, enjoyable watch. All right. Uh, for me, as far as disappointing... Uh, it's going to be something you maybe brought up, and that's the Star Wars Lego uh, Halloween special I thought was not good. Uh, I didn't care for it. 
I was I've seen better Lego stuff, mainly Lego Batman, Lego Lego Movie. I feel like with the money of Disney Plus and Star Wars and all of this, you could do so much better. And it was just like a crappy anthology series that, or like anthology thing that was not good that I didn't care about. Yeah, I thought their their Lego special last year was better. The holiday special they did was a, was better than the Halloween one. Yeah. Um, I feel like we'll probably be on agreement of this, but what is your biggest surprise? Like, what what what's the thing that you were like, I didn't even know this existed, and then I watched it, and I'm like, this is great. Or just you know, what was your biggest pleasant surprise? You weren't hyped for it, but then you watched it, and you're like, I enjoy this. I'm sure our easy answer is going to be Dookie Cabe Aloha, which we literally watched entirely for this podcast. And then it turned out to be <laughs> like actually pretty good. And it's a shame that it wasn't uh, a big trending thing. It's a shame it wasn't, you know, we try may not be picked up for season two. I wonder, it makes me feel a little bit disheartened, to be honest, about Disney Plus in the way that nothing that is disconnected from their IP seems to resonate at all in any way like that you look at like mysterious benedict society something that was big budget and expensive and had a big cast and it was like a no one talked about it i don't know who watched it except for me but yet it was picked up for another season <laughs> like i i it's interesting to see what succeeds and what doesn't on this platform and it's it is i think dookie cabe aloha is going to go down as one of those like could have been shows where i don't imagine it coming back for season two yeah. Uh, but it, it had so much potential to really become something even better than it already was. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, I think it's worth uh, uh, a watch on Disney Plus. It has a pretty definitive ending too. So if it's not going to get a season two, I feel somewhat happy with where we're wrap things up. Yeah, another uh, show I enjoyed. I wouldn't say pleasantly surprised by it, but I went in hyped. Is Mighty Ducks Game Changers? All right. It's a fun show, man. I feel like it's pretty much in tone with the first Mighty Ducks movies. Or first Mighty Ducks movie. Uh, if you're a fan of the Mighty Ducks franchise, definitely should check it out. Uh, I don't even know if it came out in 2021, but it's worth talking about. Yeah, it did come out in 2021, so I can talk about it. I mean, even if it came out in 2020, this is my show. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Sorry for swearing. I try not to swear yeah. on this show. Uh, but yeah. Uh, basically, it's Mighty Ducks for the new generation, and it's fun. And everyone should watch it if they're a Mighty Ducks fan. Uh, that's one that I have not checked out, but it has been on my list to check out. Another uh, show. Oh, yeah, keep talking. I will say one that might uh, be a surprise for you and that had its second season this year was High School Musical, the musical, the series. Uh, we had season two this year, and season one, was a very, very big surprise. One for me where I thought, oh, let's, I'll watch a couple episodes. You know, I, I like High School Musical. It'll be fine. And the first season really enraptured me and captured me with the characters. Uh, obviously, Olivia Rodrigo is the breakout all-star from the show, and she's, she's like single-handedly makes the show worth watching. So if you have any interest in, you know, like pop music and you like Olivia Rodrigo, you might want to check this one out. But season two, a bit of a step down from season one, but I still thought it was pretty good. Uh, you came into it very blind, so I, I would love to get uh, your thoughts on it as one of the uh, final notes of 2021. Oh, yeah, two things. Uh show uh, we both watched, and I think we both liked, but I don't think either of us finished, and that is Just Beyond, the uh, anthology show inspired by R.L. Stein. Uh, everything I saw was very good. If you got a young, if you're uh, 
kind of Twilight Zone Black Mirror fan and you have like a young teenager in your life and you want a show you can watch together and bond over, I'd highly recommend Just Beyond. Um, and, but yeah, to go back to your conversation about High School Musical, the musical of the series, I was pleasantly surprised because I was fully expecting each episode to be a musical. And it wasn't like there's musical moments, but I think it fits more because it's not everyone singing and dancing. Usually the musical moments are a lot more quiet and subdued and it's more just like a character's inner thoughts. They'll be like alone in a hallway singing and it'll be more just like kind of singing their thoughts. And that works better for me because when I watch a musical, I'm like, how does everyone just know the all the words to the songs and the dance moves? But <laughs> when this one, it's just like quietly walking down a hallway by themselves. I'm like, OK, I, I'm, I can accept this. Uh, but yeah, pleasantly surprised by it. Big Red is my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> You're a very Big Red personality. Yeah, I love Big Red. Um, I, I got into the whole Olivia Rodrigo and her boyfriend drama, and I'm now on his side of things. Um, wow. You know, that's a hot take now that I'm caught up and I read everything. Um, maybe she kind of lied and, and uh, kind of embellished things to uh, further her career. You know, pull the full Taylor Swift. Um, who cares about a scarf, Taylor Swift? It's been 10 years. Jake Gyllenhaal's moved on. You don't need to let people trash him for a relationship to last three months 10 years ago. Build yourself a bridge and get over Look, I loved Red Taylor's version. It was a great, great album, album of the year, maybe. Yeah, All too well, ten minute version. Give me, give me twenty. I'll, I would take any. She doesn't deserve Jake Gyllenhaal. All right. But yeah, uh, High School Musical, the musical, the series, solid show, solid teen drama. Someone who like grew up on a lot of those like weird ABC Family teen dramas. It, it you know, it lines up perfectly with them. I'm not ashamed to say I've caught some Secret Life of the American Teenager, uh, you know, marathons on ABC Family in my high school days, and who knew I was just learning about the life of Aaron Rodgers' wife, you know, just watching her, watching her become a rising star, you know. Um, uh, uh, one thing uh, it was not a 2021. Well, then you can't talk about even it. close, but it was something that I watched in 2021 that I was very impressed by one that i thought surely this is only nostalgia surely my memories of the 1994 spider-man animated show are not accurate <laughs> they, they cannot be and maybe they weren't but i ended up binging through quite a lot of this show maybe it was because i was in unquenched hype mode for spider-man no way home and i wanted anything spider-man i could get so i watched this and one thing that i'll praise about this show is it's a perfect binge because it grows. It escalates so much. Like the beginning of it is just Spider-Man in New York fighting like Hobgoblin and the normal villains, you know, street level stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm used to this stuff. I've watched a couple episodes of this. I'm going to skip forward like a season, you know, you skip forward, you go down and suddenly Spider-Man is like an intergalactic defender of earth. And he's <laughs> fighting, he's fighting like these cosmic beings. And like in the finale, it's like this, they essentially do like a six-part Secret Wars arc for the final season of the show and bring in a bunch of Marvel characters and multiverse Spider-Man to cross over. And, and I, I love the escalation of it from street-level Spider-Man to this huge galactic-level uh, story. And it, it feels kind of fun to watch that character grow. And if you have nostalgia for the show, I'm sure you'd like it. But if you just want to get more Spider-Man in you after No Way Home, you know, it wasn't enough to get... All those Spider-Man, the best Spider-Man movie. 
uh, I'm gonna uh, like there's a great Spider-Man movie, uh, but it's not on Disney Plus. This is on Disney Plus, uh, and I think for what for the '90s animated shows between this and X-Men, it's been a really nostalgic uh, year for me in my binges. So I definitely that was one of my top watches for the year, even though it didn't come out in 1994. I had a really really good time watching through that. Uh, anything else to uh, recommend or watch or you know talk about for 2021? No, it was a great. I mean, it was a great year. Honestly, Beatles get back. I thought was really really good. Had some just incredible incredible moments of creativity caught on screen. I thought that was just one of the best movies I've seen all year. If you can call it a movie, uh, you can also look at something like the Hutt- Muppets Hunted Mansion. That was a pretty good. That was okay. Uh, pretty good one. Yeah. The, you look back at the year and you 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 miss some of the stuff that we covered and talked about and then moved on from. But yeah, a pretty solid year. Whether it was rewatches of old stuff or the new stuff that dropped, I had a good time with it. And from what it looks like, we're gonna talk. I, I believe next week about 2022. Uh, we're gonna be coming in with like a 2022 preview for the beginning of the year next year, where we're gonna go through what we expect and what we're gonna get for 2022. But from what it looks like. It'll be an even bigger year than 2021 was, so we may be do a quick, uh, flooding. I mean, we could talk about something real quick. Uh, a leak came through uh, via a gift from the Lucasfilm to their employees. That may be a note. <laughs> I don't know if you uh, saw okay, what I, I saw. wasn't I sure of the context of that. You sent I me sent... that picture, and I was like, what is this? It's just a right. thing. I sent it to you. Uh, let's see. Um, so we have... Uh, I'll go to my. Uh, I sent one to my other friend, and I think I sent him more than I sent you. So it's this gift box that I believe inside is a record player. Uh, that's not important. So there's eight titles on this: four on one side, four on the other. We have Indiana Jones Five, The Book of Boba Fett, Andor, Obi Wan Kenobi, Willow, Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, and Star Wars Visions. Now, which one of these is not like the other? Joe, what is Star Wars Tales of the Jedi? I have no idea, and neither (laughs) does anyone else. But apparently that's something Lucasfilm is working on. Yeah, so where did this come from? My first reaction was to think that it was a Star Wars Visions type of thing. That's what the name gives me in my mind. But it also, I mean, like, there's a Tales of the Jedi comic book run that could be kind of adapting in a way. I wonder if they could go with that. It's it's, it's a Legends run, of course, at this point. But that could be a... Cut now. I don't know what he's talking about. I can't hear him. Uh, 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 I can't hear you. You're talking, you're glitching. Glitch. That taste. I don't know what he's saying. Anyway, so here's what I'm thinking. I don't know if he can hear me. I'll reiterate him if he comes back. Uh, But right now I'm going to mute his mic so his glitchiness doesn't keep coming through. Um, Anyway, so on one side of the box, uh, if I was smart, I would have put the graphic up. On one side of the box, you have Indiana Jones 5, Book of Bubba Fett, and or an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Those are all verified, basically live-action projects. On the other side... You have Willow, Bad Batch, Tales of the Jedi, and Star Wars Visions. Willow, I believe we know, is live action. 
but Tales of the Jedi's in between Bad Batch and Visions, which are both animated projects, which could mean nothing, but maybe makes me lean more towards Star Wars Tales of the Jedi is going to be animated. That's my thoughts. Tristan is glitched out. I don't know when he's coming back, but that's all kind of my final last thing I had. Uh, we'll be back next week for, uh, yeah, Tristan's gone, so it's just me. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk the premiere of Book of Boba Fett. We'll talk the premiere of, uh, or we'll be talking 2022 in Disney+. Plus. And uh, without further ado, goodbye. Hey, thank you for watching the Movie Change Up podcast. We'd really appreciate if you liked, commented, subscribed, and shared us with anyone you think might be into what we're doing over here. Thank you. Have a nice day.